Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Crowdlinker Fireside Chat. I'm Aram Mukumuf, the host. Thanks so much for tuning in. On the show, as you know, I'm interviewing product and innovation leaders uh, who are working uh, within their big industry, um, sorry, within their big industry problems from within their organizations. Uh, the guests that I have on the show have been in the trenches and have lots of practical advice to share with all of you today about building quality digital products, staying agile, and always having that innovation mindset. Nice. Uh, today, I'm here with Amoshe Mikanovsky. Hope I said that correctly. Yeah, that was perfect. All right, to discuss <laughs> how to manage products in B2B versus B2B to C, uh, and as well as the biggest knowledge gaps in product management and how to use your product skill sets in other areas of your life. So, mm -hmm. looking forward to that. A little bit of background on our guest speaker today. Uh, he's a leader in product management who started his career on the engineering side specifically within the enterprise real-time B2B software space. Uh, he fell in love with product management after seeing the gap that existed uh, between what customers wanted and what engineering produced. Um, uh, Moshe enjoys applying his lean iterative approach to develop products that exceed users' expectations. And he's also co-hosts uh, his own podcast called Product for Product, where he talks about products that product professionals use and I was just on that show so uh, it was a great experience um, he lives in Toronto with his wife and his uh, three daughters and he can't stand the cold winters but loves his Canadian home and the maple trees all over so without further ado <laughs> thank you uh, for coming on our show today it's great to have you uh, thank you Aram uh, it's really nice to be here awesome um, so I'll jump in with the first question. I kind of talked about it when I was going through your bio, but I wanted to ask, how did you really get started into product management? I know you went through, you know, from an engineering background, but yeah. what are some other aspects uh, that led to that decision? Yeah. So I, I was working for 20 years in engineering and I was developing software for, like you said, mainly B2B and B2B2C. Uh, some of them, most of them were for product companies and I was lucky enough to always be in touch with the clients. So I was either like working with very small uh, organizations or I was working like, uh, in that case, the client was like very right there. Or I was working with, um, even when I was in the army, uh, my clients were like sitting next door to me. Um, when I, uh, some of the jobs that I had, I was actually in the field uh, doing customization and implementation and, and pre-sales uh, for clients. So I was always hearing what clients wanted, what how they work, see their work environment and stuff like that. And that always put me in a position that I was able to go back to our headquarter and tell them, this is what the client is doing. Uh, this is how they're working and stuff like that. And then when the product was delivered, I would not always see that that feedback went back or that uh, they actually solve the problem specifically for the client. So, so that really was the gap that I, um, that I saw. And I, I always loved that type of uh, being the bridge between the, what the clients want and, and the, what the stakeholders want and the business in general to the engineering. Um, so I put you know, uh, two and two together and I uh, focused my career on product management because I knew that this is really where I enjoy uh, being. Um, and and the background in engineering helped me with that because I was already there in, in this environment. Uh, but also I was able to speak the engineering language and I was able to 
speak the uh, business language and it just you know fit into place really nicely yeah it's actually a great background that you have especially in product management i've seen very successful product managers who come from a technical background but also from a design background mm. so mm -hmm. having those skill sets uh, you know in your wheelhouse does help you i think sometimes yeah. call call it out you know <laughs> when you're like um, yeah. when you come into like a situation when engineer is like saying something, you're like, y you could, you could, you know, say your piece on it. Right. Yeah. But um, the, the first, the first product management position that I had was actually really hard because I had to have a switch in my mind and stop creating solutions or stop thinking about the solutions and, uh, stop basically stepping on some engineering toes. Mm. Um, and they all the time told me, don't worry about the solution. You worry about the problem. So, so that was um, my first uh, um, six months of the first position as a product manager. I was really like, had to really make that change in my head and, and how I was working. Nice. And so mm -hmm. since from your journey, when you started into product management to now, and you know, you, I, you know, you have a lot more experience now, how has your approach changed when it comes to managing products? Yeah, uh, the approach changed along the way. In, in many ways, but it was also because this entire paradigm has changed and developed since then. When I started looking for a product management position, it was mostly marketing positions, not so much um, mm -hmm. uh, development teams or, or product teams like today. Uh, and there is a lot of um, starting talks and, and starting um, uh, to have people like uh, Marty Kagan that would uh, start talking about that. but. Not everyone, and it's until today, unfortunately, not everyone is still familiarized with it, but today is a much better situation than it used to be 10 years ago and definitely 20 years ago. So when I started building software, uh, we didn't have a designer. I didn't even know what a GUI designer is. So we built the entire thing. We thought about the design. We thought about what will solve the problem to the users. We would talk with the users. We would do the entire thing. Um, and um, But we also built features. It was... Definitely what um, we were calling feature factory, or in, in most cases where I worked back then, it was uh, uh, mostly a feature factory because that w there was this break between what really the, the user wanted and what are, is the software we're trying to build. Um, along that way, also the learning um, agile and, and practicing agile, uh, first practicing Scrum and then trying to unpractice Scrum um, for many different reasons, um, also brought me into the realization that being agile is not about delivery or what Scrum is. Scrum is really about delivery, but being agile is about the product itself. So everything really starts and ends at the product, mm -hmm. um, which is not exactly a truth statement because everything starts and ends at the users. And <laughs> But when, when we're talking about... Uh, um, we build something, so we're building the products. We're not practicing Agile for the sake of practicing Agile or for the sake of developing something. We do it for the product. So so that was also part of the mindset change that I had to go through. Uh, so the Agile um, uh, mindset, uh, creating an Agile culture, um, and then um, practicing, uh, you know, the modern uh, product management practice, which basically has a lot of um, discovery. Uh, so what does discovery is? Discovery of the problem, discovery of solutions, um, experimentation, uh, using different tools for that, um, 
using um, in a much stronger way using data analytics uh, systems to actually get uh, some real data about uh, uh, our hypotheses and and prove or or disprove them um, and and many many things like that so so I think that there is a m much more than that what I already explained but this is probably the core mm -hmm. um, how f have you come across or have you heard about uh, something called continuous discovery Yes, definitely. Um, I even have on my desk um, Teresa Torres' book right now, uh, Continue okay. Discovery Habits. So <laughs> we had on uh, our show. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she is. She is. Uh, so between her and uh, Marty Kagan and maybe a couple of other people in the industry, I don't think that um, we need to go very far to to learn about product management. It's just more about practicing it and and really trying it out and and see how mm -hmm. we can actually get there. And there is still a lot of room out there for many, many uh, places to improve on that, it, including myself and where I work. It's um, I, I feel it's always like a um, uh, work in progress. Uh, we always um, iterate and see what works better and, and try better. And sometimes we also have to deal with um, situations where not everyone really understands what we're trying to do. And, and that's part of it to show and tell and, and, and really... Um, make uh what makes sense to us also makes mm -hmm. sense to the people we work with that's really important um mm -hmm. on, on that note um i i know you've worked before in the past uh between b to you know in b2b products as well as b2b2c mm -hmm. um what would you say is like the main differentiator in terms of your experience working um with those types of business yeah. models yeah, so the main problem that I always saw was who is your client and who are your users? So when you work B2B, um, and you, you usually, um, the clients over there um, are the people that will pay the, the bills uh, and the users are the people that will actually use the application. Uh, but they're working for the same organization and if it's an enterprise system, then you know, they will go through some uh, uh, process of, of checking it out and approving it and all of that stuff. With B2B2C, your client are sometimes, um, you know, one person and one organization, and then your users are someone completely different. Uh, so, for example, I worked for a company that we were dealing with loyalty programs. So our clients were the loyalty programs themselves. So we were dealing with uh, loyalty programs like airlines and hotels, etc. Uh, the users were their members, so they were not our clients, they were their members, and we needed to please our clients, but we created a product that the um, users would use. So mm -hmm. when you create a product for users, you want to please the users because otherwise they will not use the product. So there is always that tension between who are you pleasing exactly and how do you go by to do that. And um, that's one of those challenges that usually in B2B, it's less uh, prominent. And when you talk about B2C, which I don't have a lot of experience, but B2C is completely different because your users are your clients as well, because they will buy your products, they will consume your product, etc. In a, in a B2B, B2B2C mm -hmm. uh, business model, how do you make sure that you're you're properly catering to the business, but then also to the paying customers. Yeah, so th that's that's the thing that um, the, the 
as a product manager, you have to make sure that the product is creating value. So you're creating value to the users, uh, but it's also viable to the organization. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, um, where exactly those um, uh, that your clients are sitting? Are they sitting as your users or are they sitting as your organization? Because on one hand, they are creating, you're creating value to them by means of creating value to their users. And then you're creating, um, so, so there is the value aspect there. But then they also need to be able to work with this product. There is uh, sometimes a different type of administration on their end, and it has to make sense to their business to actually use it. So there is also that viability there. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm trying to almost put them in, in that perspective, um, that they're actually both. They're both users and, and um, um, you know, organization that they have to be viable for. Uh, but the there is always internal forces also that take place and those internal forces are uh you know if you have your own internal stakeholders that are in in sales for example they would mainly care really just about your uh their clients so they will not really care so much about the users mm -hmm. on the yeah. other end if you also need to support this and you talk with the users directly you will have your customer support they will care just about the users. So so that's another balance that you really have to put in there. I, I, I don't say it's an easy balance. It makes things a bit more complex. Mm -hmm. um, part of the solution of that is really creating a vision that everyone aligned behind. So when you have a vision that, uh, you know, the clients are the most important thing for you, um, if everyone agree to that, you have to agree to that too as a product manager or as part of the product organization, and then you put your focus on that. Um, it's um, it's usually it's usually something that I try to fight just to to give the voice of the users, uh, and and to to also show that if the users are happy, the clients will be happy. So there is always this um, um, kind of payoff. If they are yeah. not happy, um, then the client will not be happy either. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, what about? I know you worked both in in the startups, uh, and I believe enter you know startups and enterprises. What 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 caveats can you maybe point out in terms of the difference between managing products in those two realms? Right. So it's interesting. Um, first of all, it's the understanding that do we even need a product manager or someone to manage the products? Um, many startups will, especially if if. Um, not really. I mean, I'm trying to think about different situations where I've been to, but um, some startups, will the co-founder will, will come from product, so they will have this uh, strength. But many times they don't. They come from business or from uh, technology. And then um, usually in most cases, they will not really, um, you know, they will say, okay, we'll do also product management. They, they, they will think that they're that it's um, good enough or they're they able to do that. And I've heard a lot of retrospectives with uh, startup uh, founders that after the fact, they said, oh, if we had a product manager, they could have maybe take us out of these rabbit holes and, and whatever. Um, on the other end, you have a lot of flexibility over there to do many different things, to do a lot of um, different type of experimentation. By its essence, it is an experimentation, a startup. Yeah. And and also the the mindset of uh, building and testing and and measuring and building you know that mindset of lean startups if they are lean of course is very aligned with the mindset of building products 
where in enterprise, it's the other way around. Usually they will realize that yes, they need the product managers, uh, but the flexibility is not going to be as strong. And also this, um, um, you know, startup mindset or agility mindset will not be as strong. So you, you always have these two sides of the coins. And when you choose, um, first of all, you, you will choose um, which one you like to work in, what type of environment and energy you, you like to work in. So that will be one, one way to do that. And also, what are the things that you would put your, that you want to put your focus in your work? Uh, do you want to fight more the need for product management? Because I had to fight, after I was hired, I had to fight with some people that thought, why do we even need you? you, you we don't really need you over here yeah. um, in a startup situation. Or you want to fight more of the, you know, heavy set, uh, uh, um, sometime moving uphill um, of, you know, how do we do product management? Can we do uh, trials or do we have to do uh, bing bang releases and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. uh, with the enterprise side of things, what do you, how would you maybe change the enterprise product manager the role across maybe every organization to make them more effective leaders? Like, what do you think is broken in enterprise product management, if anything? Um, I think it all goes back to the culture. And um, it really depends on the culture of the organization, but the culture doesn't start and stop at product management. It's throughout the entire organization. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that um, a lot of enterprises have already um, you know, set in their status quo and they this is how they've done things and this is how they want to continue doing things. They're comfortable with the specific things that change are very hard for them sometimes. So if you do have the culture of change, enterprises could actually be very successful. So when you think about Amazon or you think about um, you know, Shopify or Spotify or other companies like that, do you think they're enterprises? Probably people don't think of them as enterprises because you know they're so big and but and they innovate all the time and whatever. Um, sorry, the so big is not really part of that because yeah. that what would make them maybe an enterprise. But uh, it, it's their culture, so they have a culture of of really um, open up for for changes and open up for different things. And I think part of one of the one things that I like maybe that got me into product management is because I do like change. I, I sometimes get bored if things are the same all the time. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't mind, uh, you know, when things are changing quickly and when, when we're trying different things and we learn and all of that stuff. So, so it really goes back to that culture. Um, but that is sometimes a very hard thing to change. Um, do you try to change the culture on your own? That's a very uh, hard thing to do. Uphill battle. It's it's a huge happy battle. Um, do you or do you join a company that already matches your culture? Um, what are the ways that you can actually you know make a dent and and change the culture? These are all really great questions. I don't necessarily have answers for them, but I I do, I do try different things. Uh, for example, one thing I try to do to change a bit. Well, it was more of focusing on product management, so it wasn't completely like you know, changing the culture of the organization. But um, I did like a book club for product management uh, books or related mm. books. So we started with um, Marty Kagan Inspired and we read it together uh, across uh, a few months and we discussed it. Uh, I 
invited different stakeholders. I invited the dev team, uh, designers, etc. And that was really interesting because uh, after that, I started hearing things that came from the book, even nice. though we didn't implement everything and we we're still not there, but it was still like some small change that I was able to make. And I think every one of us, we don't have to be afraid of trying to do these changes. Um, and uh, just um, there could be a lot of ways to do that. Uh, and the culture, because the culture is not just about what we do as, as, as our work and, and activities, uh, it could be also about, um, you know, social thing in the work that can help change the culture. Um, and I, I know many people are worried that, you know, it's not their place to do it or, or whatever. But um, from my experience, what I've seen is that almost every company would be happy that these employees will come up with ideas for social gathering, uh, social ideas to do together, like book clubs or whatever, right? That's so, so true. I'm always, mm -hmm. people on my team who are always pushing initiatives or trying to challenge me, it's like, okay, cool, you know, mm -hmm. I'll let you run with it. You go for it. You know, if you think there's some way to do it better, and I, I think it does ultimately come down to culture. You're right. Yeah. And like, that's why you have companies like Amazon, as you said, and Shopify, Spotify, they're big companies, but their mm -hmm. mindset and their approach is just like very startup-y, right? Uh, from that perspective, so. Exactly. exactly. Um, I wanted to switch uh, some of the other questions towards what you've been doing in the student and mentoring space. So mm -hmm. I know you've been teaching and mentoring other product managers for some time now. Yeah. Even in your own organization, you have your own book club that you created, so that's great. Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. What are some common challenges your students or your mentees are facing that has that has come up? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think it, it. I think it divides between those that are already in product management and those that are not yet. Because I'm also talking with aspiring product managers, mm -hmm. uh, those that are trying to get into product management. Um, I think for those that are not yet in product management, it's more about the opportunities and to see how they can actually create opportunities for themselves to do product management and not just talk or learn about it. Um, and and people sometimes don't realize that they can almost do everything in their life in a product management way. Um, and it, it's just about being creative about it and find ways to do that. And then um, the question is then, you know, how do they put it on the resume and how do they sell themselves with that experience? Uh, but if you start a podcast or if you, um, you know, create your own website or if you write a blog, that's also something that is um, could could be seen as, as, you know, product management. And there could be different aspects in there. You just have to know how to, to look at that. Um, for those that are already product managers, like everything else, it depends on their um, stage of product management. But one of the things that I've probably seen mostly missing is the understanding of, you know, all the different tool sets that you might want to have and competencies that you might want to have or need to have as a product manager and how to evaluate where you are right now and what you need to do to move to the next level. Mm -hmm. And there are actually tools out there that um, a few people have put. Uh, one of them is uh, Ravi Mehta, I think his name. Yes. Uh, yeah. So he put a tool for that, for specifically that, that lists all the different competencies and where you need to be. And then he has this type of, um, I don't remember how he calls it, but it looks like uh, 
uh, you know, these um, spider webs, <laughs> but he calls it something else that um, like uh, associate product manager need to have that, uh, mm. product manager this, senior product manager, director, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it really can help us um, align with what our um, gaps are and where we want to move forward. Mm. And it's almost like a, again, like a product. So we build a product, we have an MVP, and then what are the gaps and what are the strategy to move forward with that product? Are there any kind of specific knowledge gaps that you have come across in product management uh, from the conversations um, you had? I don't know, going from like APM to PM. Yeah, I can't really put my finger on one specifically. Okay. Uh, because uh, the, the different people I, I talked with had different... Uh, um, you know, di different uh, in the, uh, questions and different um, things that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm doing the mentorship as in, like, what are you dealing with right now? Let's discuss that and let's uh, help you move forward with, with that specific issue. Uh, Sometimes it's more of how do I get, you know, my next job in product management and stuff like that. Um, so, but I didn't really see any specific gap. I think because there is a lot of data these days and there is a lot of um, articles and, and books and people... Um, talking about it there is also a few um you know private schools that are teaching it and stuff like that so people are reading about things and they're sharing so there is a lot of information out there yeah. um i do, i am sometimes surprised when about feedbacks that i get when i write you know posts on linkedin about product management because i write something and i will think about oh everyone already knows that well i'm not saying anything new mm. And then there will still be people that like, oh, this is making a lot of sense. I didn't know that or whatever. Yeah. So there is definitely a lot of, um, still a lot of gaps out there, but not nothing that I can put my finger on specifically. Okay. Any like best mentorship advice you've given to somebody? They're like, oh my God, that is like mind blowing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I think, I think um, talking about, uh, you know, uh, talking about those that are aspiring to be product managers is to really go in and build something on your own. So, you know, and, and people that I told them that they didn't realize that they can actually do that. They didn't give permissions to themselves to do it. So sometimes it's like, oh, I don't have any ideas, um, but that's because they narrowed their perspective only of on technology products for a startup or something like that. that so they have no idea for uh, um, a product. But you, you can really expand your vision on that and find ways to do this. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that was probably, and I'm not the only one that said that. I mean, there are many other mentors that are saying the same thing. And I've done it uh, for, uh, I've done it once before and I'm doing it now with someone else, really taking a, um, you know, an idea for a product and start running with it. Got it. Um, mm -hmm. For, I mentioned it, I think, in the initial introduction, but for those who don't know, uh, you do run your own, you contribute in a different way by also running your own podcast called Product for Product. Mm -hmm. And I was just on that um, episode with you. I did an episode with you and mm -hmm. you were asking me about the different kind of toolkits that we use in, in our business. Um, I want to ask you, um, what have you learned about modern product toolkits from interviewing so many product managers Mm -hmm. that in different companies and in different industries any any one or any set that stand out yeah that's a really good question um there is the 
there is a few things there. One of them is the preference for a platform that does it all or does it as much as possible to uh, products that are more, um, you know, they're doing one thing and they're doing it really good and then mm -hmm. they're integrated with other systems. Uh, because on one hand, and I think this is a bit of a preference for people because on one hand, you just pay once and you get all this functionality and you don't have to start looking for functionality in other places or you don't have to put together all these tools into one, you know, um, patches, uh, 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 patched carpet or whatever. Yeah. Uh, 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 but on the other end, they may not do the best on each specific functionality in there. So there may be another product that does it a bit better. Uh, that was one thing. Uh, the other thing is that there is quite a bit of competition out there in some areas. Uh, when we were doing the series for um, road mapping, and I know that you mentioned one road mapping product, but we did a series and we interviewed, uh, I think, four or five uh, users or of, of those products. Mm -hmm. And to me, most of them seems to be quite the same. So there is also a bit of um, um, the, the competition there it was hard to see what the differentiator between them. There are a few things in there. Unfortunately, our um, podcast right now is only audio, so we don't have a demo of the product itself to show to the uh, listeners, you know, what uh, what we're talking about. Uh, we're thinking maybe to add that in the future, but even just talking about those features, um, you know, uh, orally uh, with audio only, it, it felt to me almost like if I would replace the name of the, the title of the episode, uh, I wouldn't even know which product I'm talking about because they're so, so, so much the same. Yeah. So, so there is uh, something interesting going on there, I think. Uh, whether it is, um, you know, different people creating these type of products at about the same time and, and growing them, and then it almost became the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure there are some differences between them, for sure. Um, but that was really the second thing that I was kind of like uh, uh, thinking about when, when you asked that question. Mm. Um, are there any kind of tools uh, you're most excited about covering next? I know we talked about no code and maybe A-B testing tools. Any yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I, I do have a list of, um, you know, um, uh, themes and, and tools that I want to cover. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, no-code is definitely one of them, um, mainly because I think it's uh, a great thing for mockups and MVPs, uh, not so much for you know productized products or, or long-term products. Um, but I, I'm, I'm really interested to hear and see what people are saying about them and how they use them mm -hmm. uh, for that. Um, A-B testing is definitely another one. And over there, actually, there is not too many products, so I'm curious to see if I will find, because sometimes through this research, I'm finding new products that I never knew about. Right. Um, I'm also thinking about uh, doing a series uh, about products that are new. So they're, usually we, we just uh, interview users, so we don't want the uh, product companies to buy us, to be biased about it. We don't, so that we, that's why we don't interview them. Uh, we interview their users. Uh, but with startup um, tools, they don't have enough users sometimes, or there is no not enough reach and whatever. And I think there is a place to give them some, you know, um, stage to to talk about their products and and stuff like that. So I'm thinking maybe also to have a series uh, because I, I've been approached by several um, startup founders that saw the podcast and they wanted to be presented in there, mm -hmm. but 
they couldn't really give me you know users that I could approach to to speak with so so I was thinking maybe we, we will have something like that and that's always exciting because I think startups are always really exciting to see what they're doing what ideas they came up with um, can they really disrupt the industry uh, and then follow up on them in the future to see you know where are they these days um no, it's really interesting. I'm looking forward to those episodes then because <laughs> I I want to I want to uh, check out what uh, what other options or other software uh, is available. Um, yeah, absolutely. In those toolkits. Um, yeah. A couple more questions. Um, mm -hmm. A lot a lot of people don't know this, but you you did write a book uh, called The Resurrector. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So this was um, another passion uh, project of mine. Um, it's a novel. It's not um, about anything about product management. <laughs> so it's not about resurrecting product management or anything like that. Um, I started writing it um, in 2013, actually. So it's been really a long time since uh, I started the project. Mm -hmm. But I only recently got it um, into uh, a press, uh, approved uh, an, into a press for, for um, release. And it's coming in December uh, oh. this year, 2021. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, it's also a very um, interesting um, press because it's not a, a traditional press where you have an agent and the agent sell it to them and they put all of their efforts to, you know, everything to make to make it happen. But they also take the risk on you, especially for a first time author. Yeah. Uh, so usually you get like 5% or even less or whatever. Uh, this one is uh, what they call a hybrid one that they help you with all the different um, editing and marketing uh, process, but you retain your uh, rights on your book. So it's like uh, at the end of the day, I'm really self-publishing or it's in the in the uh, what we call indie authors or um, in the in the publishing. Um, so so part of it was also to be able to excite people about it and do a pre-sale and let people know about the book and see that. Uh, people will actually buy it. So I actually did a pre-sale campaign to, to sell it. Uh, and uh, now I'm going through editing. So that's taking a lot of time uh, with, with the editing process. Uh, but this um, community of people that already um, bought a copy from me are really helping me with that. So I have uh, some beta uh, readers from that and some mm -hmm. other people that are reading some chapters. And when I will do the uh, when we'll do the the press the uh, design of the covers that will help me choose the right design and all of that stuff, and I'm also trying to treat that as a product at the end of the day, because um, the best way to build a product is with feedback from users, uh, to find your per the personas and to have a more product market fit. Uh, with a book and especially in a fiction book, I felt it was a much harder thing to do, mm. uh, because. Um, you know, people love to read, but not everyone. And then those that love to read, they there are so many genres out there. What is it that they love to read exactly? So, and and I I even had a problem with my own book to decide what genre it is, because okay. it has different topics and stuff like that. Um, so you have to find the right people that will want to read your book, and um, that's also hard. And then you have to get their feedback, and you have to kind of improve the book. But once it's printed, that's it. Either you go to a second edition or not. So there is all all of these aspects that I'm kind of um, learning myself in this process about that. So it's really interesting. You mentioned before that you treat other aspects of what you do in life from a product perspective. So this is a great example of one. 
Mm-hmm. And how I kind of paint the correlation is that you did a pre-sale of the book, which is kind of like you're you're trying to get try to get product market fit in in a way. You're trying to you know mm-hmm. you know go to the market with an MVP, and then you get some feedback, and then you refine, and then you launch the product, right? And then as you said, once it's launched, yeah, it's kind of like you have one shot, right, to then um, succeed. Exactly, exactly. So that's why I find it also harder. And when I sold it, I didn't even give them a full copy of the book. I told them what the book is about. I, uh, we made um, a small ad, like a video uh, that kind of to incite people to, to for that and stuff like that. Uh, because reading a book takes time. So imagine you will get, and, and I had, when I started this, I had like 75,000 words in the book. So imagine just sending 75,000 words for everyone and get their feedback. It will take a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I would have to start, let's say with my next book, what I would probably do is create this community of the people that already know me and know my book, my first one, and get them um, chapters and I will send them chapters and read that chapter and tell me what they think and stuff like that. And then build the second book in a much more iterative way than I could with the first one. Interesting. Yeah, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll stay tuned for that launch and uh, hopefully get a copy so I could read it. Yeah, definitely, um, thank you. <laughs> Last one or two questions. Um, this is kind of like a left field question, but where where do you think product managers will be in 10 years from now, 2030? What are they mm. going to be doing on a daily basis? Where will their focus be? That is a very interesting question. I hope that, you know, most of us will be on the uh, discovery side. Mm-hmm. Then on the delivery side, not that the delivery is not important, but I think the delivery, once the discovery is, um, you know, it, it, there is a good discovery habit, you know, like we, we talked about before, mm-hmm. then we can actually find the right problems and find the right solutions to work on. And then it, it's almost like obvious what the next steps are. So not that I'm minimizing anything obvious, but the core, the, 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 what I see as the core of the product manager work is really in, in the, in the hard places where you don't know things. And this is in, exactly. yeah. And this is in the, the discovery process. Um, I, I asked recently, I asked, uh, Marty Kagan, where does he, if he knows the numbers, cause he's talking all the time about, um, um, you know, feature factories, delivery um, teams, and empower teams. So I ask him, what are the numbers? You know, how many are there? He, if I'm correct, I hope I'm quoting it him right, but he said that about only less than 5% are empower team, like over, over the world with teams. And then probably the rest is... Um, maybe 60%, um, no, maybe 70% feature factories and the rest are delivery teams. Okay. So where delivery team are just delivering, they don't even think about the, the features. Uh, feature factories is a bit higher, I, I guess, where you actually get a feature, you do some discovery for the feature, but yeah. all you do is deliver a feature without an outcome and without being empowered for what you're trying to do. So that's actually is very sad um, uh, statistics. It is. And hopefully in, in 10 years, it will be the opposite. Couldn't agree with you more. And I think with what mm-hmm. Teresa Torres covers in her book you know, around talking about continuous discovery, 
mm-hmm. what you just mentioned, I really think that is uh, hopefully a shift that will, will take place in the market. Exactly, exactly. Um, is there anything else you want to mention or to say before we sign off for this episode? Um, maybe one last thing. It's also related to the last question. And this is about more official studies for product management. So today, um, people are being taken off from MBA courses mm-hmm. or you know whatever background they have. And then if they want to get um, a product management you know, um, certificate or whatever, they usually go to one of the uh, private schools. And I think that there need to be a shift in there to the universities to actually adopt product management as a stream of studies mm-hmm. uh, because um, right now the way most universities don't even talk about this the way you know based on my my own personal research so I might be wrong there I've, I've seen you know in a few places but most of them don't what they talk is about information systems or they talk about management you know like um, MBA yeah. or stuff like that and then you have different streams inside information systems. They talk about design, so design thinking and design in general is very strong in universities. But anything related to product management is almost non-existent. Yeah. And if they see it that way, that means that it's not a real uh, thing. And you have to kind of find your way to get there, which I, I think is, is very... Um, it's probably because it's still a very um, um, young and, and um, uh, you know, profession. Yeah. And there is still a lot of chaos out there about what does it mean exactly to, to be a product manager. Uh, but I, I feel that this is one of those things that I also hope that in 10 years it will be much more abundant. Oh, that's so, so true. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I hope there is that shift in the education side and the education system to actually start teaching some of these things. Because I think mm-hmm. we live with products all day long, 24-7. We're using them, you know, constantly. Mm-hmm. Like, to be able to understand um, what it takes to build one, uh, I think, is a gap uh, that I yeah. think I, I never studied in university either. So that's a great point. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's also a great way to, to wrap up. So thank you so much uh, for your time today. I really thank appreciate it. Thank you very it. much for having me, yes. And uh, thank you. Th- I mean, uh, thank you, especially when you mentioned that uh, Teresa Torres is on the show as well and stuff like that. I'm, I'm feeling really humbled that you invited me to, to be a guest as well. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So is actually um, Navi. Yeah, so... Uh, ah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Ravi, sorry, him. Ravi. Yeah, Ravi. So um, I, I, I'm glad that I mentioned uh, his name as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so for all of our listeners, tune in next time to hear more about uh, us having conversations with product innovation professionals and them sharing their insights. So till next time, everybody. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>